Uh, so Ryan, are are you a sports fan or a aficionado of football at all? Uh, I used to be a pretty huge sports fan back in particularly the 90s. So I was more of a basketball and baseball guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but at one point I was realizing that collecting comics was no longer socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe I be, would be more popular if I started following sports more. And I already played a lot of sports video games, so it seemed like kind of a natural <laughs> transition. <Magical> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as it turned out, it didn't really make an impact on my social life, shockingly. But, uh, yeah. And then I guess today I just, I don't have, unfortunately, I, I, I still like sports, but I don't have the time to follow it. And also, uh, like if I wanted to follow the NBA, I'd have to spring for cable channels mostly and it's just too pricey these days. Yeah. How about, how about you? Uh, yeah, I was never a super into sports um i grew up in wisconsin where you know it's packer land everywhere um and it was sort of you know suspect if you didn't watch pack you know packers at least once in a while so you know i would but i never really got into it um and you know i never really totally got into the sports thing at all um but then um after i graduated college uh, for a couple of years i became an assistant sports editor at a newspaper uh, in an unlikely scenario so it was like you know it was the the you know mid two thousands like newspapers going under you know some transitions, um, and they, they were sort of trying something new like hey we, you know we have a transition in the sports department, uh, maybe we have a non sports guy to have some sort of perspective on things the non sports perspective and um, you know how like on the X Files the idea was that the FBI team is scully up with Mulder so that she will sort of keep an eye on him it was the same idea of like you know you'll keep an eye on the sports guys and you know everything will be fine it turns out this uh this strategy does not work because um uh to be a good sports editor you actually 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 have to care about sports like if your interest is entirely Mm. academic and then people will you know call in and like ask questions i'm like i don't actually care about the pack like the the packers are paying my salary but like I, i just don't actually care basically so um yeah i don't but it does give me um, an insight into the exciting world of investigative sports journalism that we will be cov- covering here today in NFL Super Pro. Perfect, perfect. Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some re- notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. And today we're going to be covering NFL Super Pro, specifically his first appearance in NFL Super Pro Special Edition Number 1, published by Marvel Comics in September 1991. And issues one through four of the ongoing NFL Super Pro series, which were published monthly starting in October 1991. So if you've never heard of NFL Super Pro before, and there's not any reason you particularly should have, uh, he is Phil Grayfield, a sports reporter whose former career as a football player was cut short due to injuries. 
uh, due to an accident that even by like comic book superhero standards is pretty ludicrous. He gains superpowers in a super suit and fights. I I guess you would call it football adjacent crime uh, as yeah, yeah. as as NFL super pro. Um, so unlike some of the series that we've covered so far on our podcast, uh, NFL Super Pro doesn't have a storied history spanning back decades or a particularly interesting genesis. Um, in fact, there's not a whole lot of documentation about how this series came to be, probably because I think most people involved would sort of like to forget it as as soon as as soon as maybe. Uh, what we can assume is that at some point the National Football League and Marvel Comics arrived at some sort of licensing deal where Marvel would produce a football-themed superhero and could use the NFL name and trademarks. Um, so I guess the idea is that, like, football fans, maybe, who wouldn't ordinarily read comics, might be inclined to pick that up. Like, today, so it's, you know, it's 2019 today, the Avengers movies are big business and stuff, but, like, back then, um, you know, there's a lot more of a wall between, like, nerd stuff like comics and jock mm-hmm. stuff like football. And, like, I mean, in 1991... I would not expect my mom to be interested in seeing a sequel to Ant-Man, <laughs> but that is exactly the world that we find ourselves in now. But yeah, back then there was a lot more uh, separation, I think. So maybe they, maybe Marvel thought they could get a slightly different audience and maybe the NFL thought they could get like a cool mascot or something out of it. I'm not sure what uh, they were hoping to get aside from money, but you can see the the idea there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be summed up with, the idea that jocks rule and nerds rule. <laughs> but maybe the nerds can get the jocks money. Yes. <laughs> maybe that's... Yeah, so uh, that makes uh, Super Pro what we call a licensed comic, where the publisher makes comics based on an existing concept or property, but doesn't own the trademarks to the characters. Uh, Marvel had a lot of success with licensed comics in the past. The original Star Wars comics from the 70s are often credited as saving a cash-strapped Marvel back in the late 70s. Um, and in the 80s, they famously developed G.I. Joe and Transformers as concepts. Um, like The names like uh, Optimus Prime and Megatron and stuff, those come from Marvel staffers who were working on the comic book. Um, but creatively, they were sort of treated as like second-class books, and they didn't necessarily always put their top talent on it because it's just, you know, it's going to sell because of the name, put whoever you got on it. Um, however, apparently Marvel was having trouble developing the concept to the NFL's satisfaction. So uh, editors asked writer Fabian Nicieza to try working on it. Um, if you listen to our episode about Rob Liefeld's Youngblood, you might remember Nicieza as the guy who worked with Liefeld on New Mutants and its successor series, X-Force, um, and in the process co-created the character Deadpool. Um, at this point in this career, his career, he'd also worked at Marvel for some time as an editor and had notably been the original writer on the New Warriors series. Uh, Nicieza is pretty open and honest these days about NFL Super Pro and his relationship to it. Um, he's admitted that it's pretty much just his, you know, a job that his editor pals ask him to do. And um, the NFL, I guess, gave him tickets in exchange for the writing gig. So pretty much, you know, I get to go to a football game if I write this football superhero right. thing. Um, so he would go on to develop the character in such a way that the NFL approved it. Um, he wrote the five issues that we'll be talking about today before moving on. Uh, Nicieza would go on to write X-Men in the sort of height of the 90s X-Men mania. Uh, he'd do Cable and Deadpool and Thunderbolts, as well as a bunch more work for Marvel and other publishers. He did a Turok series, you know, in the 90s and stuff, too. 
Uh, NFL Super Pro would continue on for eight more issues after Nietzsche's departure uh, before it would be canceled in issue, tw- issue 12 in February 1992. Um, not before they would publish an issue written by a different writer that had to be recalled because apparently the Hopi Nation complained about uh, racist depictions of their people in the comic. Um, I have not read that one, so I am not um, uh, fit to judge that one, but bad move, I guess. But yeah. um, We, we uh, so, won't be covering that one. Yeah, I, I think we'll just take, take a pass on that one. But as a whole, the uh, Chicago Sports Review in 2005 called NFL Super Pro as a whole perhaps the worst comic book ever created. So we will see if it lives up to that. Um, a quick note about the art. The five issues that we're going to be talking about today were mostly drawn by Jose Delbo. Uh, he worked at DC Comics in the 70s and 80s and had done some work for Marvel. Um, he's probably best known for drawing a bunch of issues of the Transformers licensed comic. Um, he's a solid storyteller. Um, everything's pretty clear, uh, but um, he was sort of out of step in the uh, extreme art style of the 90s. Yeah, so we last tackled Rob Liefeld's artwork in uh, Youngblood, and so I kind of appreciate somebody like Delbo, where it's not groundbreaking or flashy, but you can tell what's going on, and like the characters have different faces and have... <laughs> realistic facial expressions and things like that so. there's backgrounds you can tell where they are mm-hmm. there's he draws people's feet <laughs> yes. it's important yep. <laughs> yeah so he's got that going for him uh so with that said we'll launch into the series itself i guess we could say we'll we'll kick off with nah. <laughs> that'll be the last football related pun that i'll, I'll break out well that that you'll um, make the super pro will make a lot of football puns but those will not be yeah any future ones will not be written by us yes i <laughs> promise you um so we start off with nfl super pro the super bowl special edition uh his first appearance and the the title uh is painted by joe jusco who did these um was famous for painting marvel characters for trading cards in the 90s and the the title the cover tells us that it's a collector's item, which, as a handy tip for collectors, any anytime something says it's a collector's <laughs> item, that means it's not a collector's item. That's, that's just one basic tip. And then we also, because it's obviously an NFL creation and and license, we get three NFL logos on the cover alone, including two on Super Pro's costume, and one on the cover logo. Uh, so it's it's pretty hard to miss who's sponsoring this comic. So then we get into chapter one, the lift that drops you is the title of it. I could not. So a lot of the titles here are like a lot of titles in comics are sort of puns or references to things. I could not figure out anything that is adjacent to the lift that blanks you or the blank that drops you. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure what the lift is in the story, really. Yeah, to, is I, there an, an elevator? I was assuming maybe it was related to steroids, but oh, okay. I guess I never heard. Maybe that's like, like a like a dr- anti drug PSA at the time or something that maybe has it faded from seems, my memory. Yeah, it just seems pretty awkward. 
So we begin with a mysterious helmeted figure watching some goons uh, transporting some chemicals from a warehouse in Newark, New Jersey. And so this helmeted guy goes and beats him up to find out where the chemicals came from and where they were headed. And here's where we get the first of many football metaphors used throughout the series. One of the guys who he's beating up says, who does this guy think he is, super football man? And then Super Pro replies, close Einstein, but you missed the first down marker by the length of a chain. <laughs> so we get a little taste of Super Pro's personality and, uh, you know, his his passions in life in that one <laughs> statement. Um, so then the, the cops arrive and apparently want to question Super Pro and he just pretty much tells him he's on the trail of an illegal steroid ring and then uh, gets right. out of there as, as much as possible. Yeah, and uh, right before the police arrive, he tells uh, one of the goons, perhaps you'd rather talk to the police through a mouthful of broken teeth, which I think is pretty hardcore for, like, licensed football-themed superhero that the NFL is endorsing. Like, it's, it's like a forced yeah. football pun one minute and then just, like, utter brutality the next. Mm-hmm. Because... But, you know, it's, it was the 90s, tough on crime, you know, we always say. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's having mood swings from, like, early onset CTE or something. <laughs> uh, so then we get another football metaphor as Super Pro flees the scene. And he says, this little play from scrimmage didn't gain me much yardage. Um, so then we see... Super Pro meeting with his girlfriend, Jane, for a date, and we find out he's an investigative sports journalist. And then uh, following that, we meet, th- the next day we meet this guy, Phil Grayfield, and his cameraman, Ken Reed, in Giant Stadium there to report on a football game. Uh, so we know, uh, I don't know if it's immediately, but we know that Phil Grayfield is Super Pro, and you already mentioned that. Um Phil tells his cameraman that he heard Super Pro broke up a chemical smuggling ring. And his cameraman, Ken, says, funny how he seems to pop up in every city we're in. And then Phil is like, I wonder if he thinks the same thing about us. Which I think is like, I for all like that Phil Grayfield feels inadequate as a superhero throughout the, the couple of issues that we'll be reading today. Like, that's a pretty solid secret identity, like bluff that he's pulling there very casual he's not doing the sputtering like well well i don't know what i'm certainly not super Mm -hmm. pro but so yeah yeah well done done him um so then at at the practice they're they're watching uh a rookie play and there's this rookie named benny who looks super roided up and he he looks practically like he's 19 feet tall and just running around screaming at people (laughs) I, I do wonder yeah. how much how much Marvel had to coordinate stuff with NFL teams because they use like the real you know the real team names and the real logos and stuff because they have the NFL license. But I wonder if like Nicias had to like actually contact someone in like the Chicago Bears front office, being like, "Hey, is it okay if we employ?" It suggests that like one or more of your players are like a roided up rage monster, like, mm-hmm. and then like other other like other football players are later seem to be doping and stuff. So it's like. The impression they get from this comic is that doping was a pretty widespread thing in the Bears organization. 
1991 and they signed off on it so yeah i i had to imagine that the, the nfl's public relations department was <laughs> not really paying close attention to this they they probably saw those three logos on the cover and were like okay that's, that's our work enough. is our work is done here <laughs> um so then phil and his cameraman can see benny uh, see the rookie Benny meeting with some scientist type guy in an empty parking lot and Benny's demanding something which is obviously drugs the scientist gives on, gives him a case of drugs and then drives off and Phil and Ken decide to follow the scientist uh, and we get this little exchange Phil says in a mood to take a drive through Jersey and then Ken says it's what I live for so I, I think Ken's kind of sarcastic throughout the entire series, and we get a little bit of a taste of that here. Yeah, that's his the sort of rudimentary character arcs they got is so their their dynamic is established. And then we so they follow the the pharmacist, or sorry, they follow the the um, scientist, and they follow him to New Jersey State University and find out that he's actually a chemistry professor who. Uh, also, uh, eventually Ken starts doing some digging on his, uh, computer and finds out that this chemistry professor has a consulting job with a pharmaceutical company. And in the art here, he's portrayed as having like, a, like a two monitor PC setup before it was cool. Right. But it's like the huge, mm-hmm. like CRT monitors and like in the, you know, in the early nineties that you will recall, they were pretty huge so actually i think that's bad for the the bed springs frankly yeah and (laughs) and he's hauling he's hauling these up to his hotel room presumably so then they they figure out that there's some kind of connection to this pharmaceutical company super pro decides to go break in to see if he can find out anything um anything incriminating about the company so he goes there and jumps over the fence. Uh, we get another football simile, smoother than AstroTurf is his description of his actions. Um, then Super Pro manages to find the company's computers and goes over and types in the search illegal steroid compounds and finds nothing. <laughs> so, so Phil is a serious investigative journalist. And take it from me as someone who once worked at a newspaper, that in journalism school, they teach you, the first thing they teach you is that if you're looking for evidence of illegal activity, the first thing you do is search their computer database for illegal activities or like evidence, comma, incriminating. <laughs> maybe, I mean, like not often, but like once in a while, maybe they, they, they archive stuff like that. So that's, you should at least yeah. try it. Mm-hmm. Reporters and out there. As somebody... Yeah, and as somebody who's who teaches research to college students, I just appreciate that he uses quotation marks around the <laughs> phrase so that it searches the the term as a phrase rather than just separate words. So he's he's practicing good keyword searching. <laughs> he, it doesn't work out though, unfortunately, for our hero. He leaves because he can't find any proof. Um, but meanwhile, Ken, who's at this point much more effective. Uh, then Super Pro has been researching Phil Grayfield, and he has a hunch that his his colleague is Super Pro. So when Phil gets back, Ken confronts him with evidence that he's Super Pro. 
And he's got like all this stuff about like he's got like his pinky is you know bent slightly in the same way that Super Pros is and all this stuff. And he's got facial recognition stuff, but really like. So, like, superhero disguises are inherently sort of unconvincing, like Clark Kent's glasses or, like, even with Batman's mask. Mm -hmm. You could tell, like, which actor is playing Batman when you see it from a movie or whatever. But, like, Super Pro is just wearing, like, a football helmet and a visor, which, like, actual football players wear and are not – their identity is not concealed. (laughs) Granted, granted Mm -hmm. they are wearing, like, their their last names on the back of their jerseys, but – you know, like, this is – even by, like, comic book standards, this is not a particularly – difficult disguise to to get behind uh so they that gives super pro the the opportunity to explain his origin to to phil uh sorry to to ken i'm I'm probably gonna get those names mixed up (laughs) throughout this i I was doing that Uh, right i was doing that right you know it's like there's like generic like one syllable man name mm -hmm. phil ken joe Yes, good all American names. So, so then Phil starts recounting his background, um, and so he tells uh, his friend there that he's you know you know I was one of the best in college. Uh, I was one of the best players in college, right? And I won a national championship. Uh, he was an all American linebacker. He was picked number one in the NFL draft, and he and his current girlfriend also graduated with academic honors uh so at this point you can imagine that most of the comic book fans reading this are really relating to this handsome intelligent 100 <laughs> percent successful jock uh but then like all other iconic marvel char- characters tragedy strikes though and so the tragedy in this case is that he injures his knee in training camp as a rookie so that means he's merely a handsome, rich guy with a fulfilling romantic life, <laughs> and a and an injury. Right. Um, but then, with the encouragement of Jane, he rehabs and works his way back onto the playing field, and then breaks his leg a second time. Uh, but that doesn't stop him. So he rehabs again and rebuilds his knee, but gets cut by his original team, so he gets a tryout eventually with the Chicago Bears. He does well in the tryout, and he makes friends with one of the players, and everything's great. Uh, Then his friend on this new team is running up the bleachers and almost falls off, so Phil dives to catch him and ends up re-injuring his leg a third time. (laughs) So, uh, based on the appearance of Spider-Man in the next issue, this series does technically take place in the Marvel Universe. So after unlikely misfortune number three, I am like officially putting in my fan theory that Loki is somehow involved in, in Phil's origin here. Just like, how many times can we screw this guy's leg over? Yeah, but the third time is not the charm for Phil. His football career is over. Uh, but just when things are almost about to get bad, he gets offered a job. So, like, people just come up to him and offer him a job as an investigative sports journalist while he's lying in a hospital bed. And so his first assignment is to investigate fraudulent sports memorabilia. And so he meets with a collector who's been swindled. And this collector is an eccentric rich guy who has this giant collection. 
And one of the items in his collection is a prototype football uniform made of experimental plastics that apparently uh, cost him $5 million to make. <laughs> like, we let a lot of stuff go here because it's like a goofy superhero comic and, you know, and, and all that. But like, I have a hard time believing that he ever thought there was a chance in hell that this was like a viable product to be produced. Like, like this one costs $5 million, but like the next one will only cost you $1 million because it had to be like, didn't it say it had to be specially molded to each player? Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's not really, uh, thinking practically. Yeah. So he, uh, is meeting with this, this eccentric guy, a band of crooks break in. They rob the inventor at gunpoint and they tie up Phil an old game film and set the place on fire. So we get there's there's fumes coming out of the the NFL game films. There's uh, the experimental plastics he was making. There's still vats of them nearby and they catch on fire and the fumes mix together and give give Phil Grayfield super strength and agility he gets up, he grabs the super suit and puts it on and goes after the robbers. Um, and that's pretty much his origin story. And then he recounts that to to his friend, Ken. Um, so then we're, we're back in the present. And so Ken and Phil figure out that the rookie... Bennings, who they suspect is on steroids, was advised by the chemistry professor they saw when he was an undergraduate. And this player was also an intern at the evil pharmaceutical company that SuperPro broke into. Uh, they take a look at pictures of the of, of Bennings um, at various points in his career. And they mention the telltale signs of steroid abuse, which are apparently uh, distortions of the jaw and other facial features and outbreaks of acne on his arm. Uh, looking at a photo, Phil goes, either this kid is using or he needs to take a swim in a lake of Oxy-10. Uh, Oxy so, like, as if being a handsome, successful jock with a hot girlfriend wasn't enough, like, making fun of people with acne is, like, sure to endear him to comics fans of 1991. So then, uh, I, I keep calling him Phil. I guess I should call him Super Pro, um, just to make things a little less confusing. <laughs> So super pro, well, he's in his civilian identity. So uh, Phil and Ken go to confront this chemistry professor on camera, and the professor admits that he did develop this super steroid, and the player he's been giving it to is taking the final stage dose of the drug to prepare for a uh, a Chicago Bears game today. And uh, there's a surprisingly nuanced view for the time that the professor says that he did it because. He was under a lot of pressure from like the school's, you know, athletic departments to produce winning athletes. Um, so that's pretty, I think, an advanced um, look at at things from the time. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, again something that you wouldn't necessarily think the the NFL would want <laughs> associated with their their brand is like the scandals involving you know colleges and that. Uh, so when you see that player take this final stage drug he basically turns into a giant non-green hulk and starts smashing stuff and threatening people so super pro intervenes and basically beats him down and at which point the player's heart stops and he dies yeah it's not the 
maybe the most dramatic way to defeat your first supervillain by wait, like basically messing with him until his heart gives out. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then at the uh, following this, uh, Phil's pal from earlier uh, confronts some of his teammates who were apparently taking some more conventional steroids. And after this, they sort of learn their lesson and they flush them down the toilet. So like we get a nice moral to it. But this seems, I mean, like this seems to me like absolutely irresponsible medication disposal to be just putting into the city, you know, the city sewers. I don't know about like steroid usage or whatever, but like, is it safe to quit like cold turkey just like that? Like, do you? I have more more questions than than answers at the end of NFL Super Pro Special Edition Number One. Yeah, they they need to have a little GI Joe style coda where they're <laughs> like, here's how to deal with your your steroids <laughs> so then um we get the professor goes to jail but the the company denies wrongdoing and so we at the end we see phil with his uh girlfriend jane who um i think it's mentioned earlier is a is a news anchor and reporter uh, and she wants to find out how he keeps getting the scoop on all these big football related stories She's going to find out how this, how he's doing this, at which point he says, if you could do that, I guess it could end up being the story of your career and literally turns to the reader and winks. <laughs> so I was, it's just one of those things where you see this parodied so much these days that it's, it's actually hard, at least for me to think of examples of, you know, in TV shows where somebody winks at the camera. Right. Uh, but this is a classic example in the wild, as it were. So I treasured it. Yeah. And then also we get uh, the final caption is just says the beginning, which I would have preferred the end question mark. <laughs> but this is this is acceptable. It's, it's, is, it's, it's a threat, I think. Uh, so now we jump to the first issue of the ongoing series, NFL Super Pro Volume 1, Number 1, from October of 1991. Um, so in this issue, actually, you get some like moderately sophisticated intrigue, considering that this is a series about a wisecracking football superhero who gets his powers from huffing fumes from old game film. Uh, briefly, an offensive tackle for the Raiders named Pressman is accused of being in league with a gambling kingpin called... I've been thinking like Sanzionaire, but I'm not totally sure. It's Italian. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I'm probably going to say Sanzionaire, and we'll okay. go back and forth as we figure mm -hmm. it out. Um, so a numbers guy for Sanzionaire's organization named Murtaugh has some evidence on tape that would clear Pressman's name. Uh, Pressman was a friend of Phil Grayfield, the NFL Super Pro, from his playing days, so he's invested in upholding his pal's reputation. I'm not totally sure what would be on this tape that would clear, like if you're accused of working with a criminal, I'm not sure what on the tape does not incriminate him or like clear some, like, is it Sanjanir going like, I definitely don't have any dealings with this pressman guy. It's a, like, I, I'm mm -hmm. not just, I'm not sure, but it's apparently it's, it's dynamite evidence. Um, so super pro foils, a sniper's attack attempt to assassinate the numbers guy. 
There's a couple of fewer football puns than last issue, but he does refer to punching this guy as a personal autograph. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the numbers guy is killed by a second assassin who is dressed as a valet. The assassin takes his car and leads Super Pro on a chase through Los Angeles. Uh, this assassin's main trait is that he is always swearing, um, using salty language, but because this is an NFL-sanctioned comic book published by Marvel in 1991, it's all like dollar sign, pound sign, at sign, percent sign. Um, Super Pro says he'll have, has to, uh, he'll have to wash out his mouth, quote, with a fist. Uh, so as it happens, uh, Spider-Man is in Los Angeles because Peter Parker is there on a sports assignment. Yeah, and he's watching this car chase um, happen, and he's really blasé about it. Like, there's <laughs> this driver speeding and shooting through the windshield at Super Pro and to the point where the car's windshield is completely like, shattered and he can't see through it. And Spider-Man's just kind of watching, being like, ooh, I can get some good photos of this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's newspaper Spider-Man. Yeah, I guess, or maybe it's he, he mentions you know he's in L.A. so he's still Spider-Man, but maybe he just he doesn't really care that much about the West Coast. The buildings are in a different place; I can't web to them as easily. I I don't know what I'm doing here, but yeah. yeah. But so so this this actually gets to a pet peeve of mine, which is like, why the hell is the Daily Bugle sending Peter Parker, like a freelance crime photographer who is generally acknowledged to be a pretty terrible photographer, actually? outside of his abilities to get pictures of Spider-Man on what seems to be like a pretty plum sports assignment, like a hard news sports thing. Like they must have like sports photographers working for the daily bugle who they could send out instead of like this college dropout that they keep, they keep going to. This is a, this is a general yeah. problem though in Marvel comics and in superhero comics in general, not just a super pro problem, but still mm-hmm. like it, it bugs me as someone with a rudimentary knowledge of how newspaper organization works. Yeah, it's kind of like the the comic book scientist problem where if you're a scientist, you know every type of science. Right. You're a chemist, but like also you build robots. Mm-hmm. Was, there was like in the old uh, like old Superman comics from the 50s and 60s too where like one issue, Lois Lane will be, you know, working to uncover the secrets of like the city's biggest crime kingpin. And then like in the next story, she'll be like covering like the flower show at the Expo Center. Metropolis, like those are those are different beats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, uh, Spider Man finally decides to do something. Uh, he sticks a spider tracer, which, if you're unfamiliar with it, is the little homing things that he shoots and you know they stick onto a car or whatever and triggers a spider sense, so he can follow it later. And then Ken shows up in a van to pick up Phil. And so Super Pro basically gets into a green van in full costume in sight of at least. <laughs> two bystanders like they're standing maybe eight feet away from him and like even spider-man sees this like he's, he, <laughs> he's like oh it's, it's really nice that super pro has a partner who i could probably pick out of like a lineup now at this point that i've seen him um spider-man's always sort of sort of supposed to be like the young screw-up superhero who doesn't get it right but like within the logic and history of the marvel universe by you know 1991 whatever it is in marvel time um, he's been a superhero pretty much as long as the Avengers of the Fantastic Four. So, like, you see him play this role a lot of, like, oh, hey, there's a new guy on the scene. I should check him out. And you'll get, you know, the Spider-Man seal of approval if it works out. Yeah, and because it's 
the 90s, we also get Spider-Man doing a Wayne's World style knot in his, <laughs> in his internal monologue. It's relevant, where we're at. relevant to pop culture. Uh, so Phil goes back to his hotel room. Uh, he sort of grouses about the key card entry locks in the hotel room door, which I guess was a new thing in the 90s. Makes makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls up his girlfriend, who's wearing at home wearing a nightie and slippers eating cookies at one in the morning. Phil calls her my part-time gal pal and then says, hmm, yuppies may be dead, but the problems we have coming up with catchwords for our relationships endure. I don't know what that, what is that supposed to, <laughs> I have no idea what that's supposed to mean or what he's saying. Is it that like he doesn't know what to call her as his girlfriend or what does it have to do with yuppies? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of generational transition thing going on with like relationships uh i remember the 90s but i don't remember what that has to do with yuppies or yeah what were like the new relationship statuses at the time i don't know i don't remember it from watching uh studs on fox so (laughs) (laughs) if anybody out there in radio land remembers the 90s uh youth dating show studs um back to comics (laughs) Uh, Super Pro recaps his origin because it's NFL Super Pro number one, and you could be forgiven for expecting this to be his origin and first appearance. So he goes over like the basic stuff of what we told you last in the fr- previous segment. Um, the assassin, the foul mouth assassin, uh, delivers his tape to the, his boss, Saint-Genier. Um His swearing is so bad that even like this, you know, underworld kingpin type of guy is like, watch your language. Yeah, and also Saint-Genier has a ponytail, which in eighties and nineties pop culture is the second most evil hairdo you can have <laughs> after slicked back hair so yeah you know it's, he's serious right so the uh the assassin tells him that super pro is on the case and uh goes on for his uh, prepares for his assignment to kill uh pressman the next day san Janeiro does this sort of standard villain thing of like find out everything you can about this so-called super pro so he's being set up to be a dude in the series uh, the next day at Pressman's press conference, uh, Phil and Peter Parker pass each other, but they have no idea that one of them is Spider-Man and one of them is Super Pro. Um, Peter Parker recognizes him from his football days, which I guess is sort of surprising because, like, from the origin, I got the sense that, like, he didn't really play a whole lot. Like, he, he you know, he was, like, he was mm-hmm. kept being injured, right? So, like, would Peter Parker, a guy who doesn't seem to be super invested in football, remember this guy who, like, kept getting injured you know, during tra- basic training season. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe he became like a late night punchline at one point. Like Letterman was constantly working <laughs> on him or something. I, I would like to see that actually in the, in the logic of the, that, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah. And they, uh, but when they pass each other, they, they do the sort of visual, like half Spider-Man, half Peter Parker face. He does the half Phil Grayfield, half super pro face. The Spider-Man works a little bit better, but yeah. Just just as an aside, I I would like to see that visual trope done at one point where it's a horizontal split, <laughs> like the Spider-Man bottom mask <laughs> and then the Peter Parker top, or vice versa. Just switch things up. That's that's bold and innovative. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so uh, Pressman shows up and he's got the weirdest goddamn haircut. He's got like, so on top he's got like a crew cut, 
um, which is not that weird. And he's got a short ponytail in the back, which is also not that weird, especially in the 90s, you know, to have the sort of a mullet thing with a ponytail. But he's got, like, a horizontal band, like maybe an inch or so, shaved, like, across down to the scalp, separated the two layers. So it's like he's a bald guy with a ponytail, but he's also wearing a crew cut wig, and it doesn't match up in the back. This... Like, so, so Ken has some like nineties hair. He's got like, you know, like the stuff shaved into it and stuff. Mm. But like, I don't think anybody ever had a haircut like this football player guy. Yeah. It basically looks like he was about to be lobotomized and they're like, <laughs> we don't have time to shave his whole head. Just do the section <laughs> we're going to cut into. Yeah. And then saves, saves a lot yeah. of time. So, uh, the assassin shows up again and Spider-Man stops him and the guy falls to his death. Uh, Spider-Man follows the spider tracer to San Janeiro's mansion and finds a team of assassins are headed to Pressman's house. Uh, Super Pro, fortunately, is waiting there for them, and they have, you know, a standard superhero versus goon uh, fight scene. Um, Pressman ends up running down the stairs yelling, I have a gun, because we're in the United States. And a bad guy shoots an explosive shell, which Super Pro points out is a bad idea to use inside a house. Um, so the bad guy's sort of at his mercy, and he goes, okay, okay, I give. And Phil says, no, you received a pounding, that is. Yeah. He gets he gets points for that not being an explicit football pun, though. <laughs> he's, he's branching out. True. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spider-Man fo- uh, shows up to find that Super Pro has saved the day. Uh, he fulfills the mandates of his sales-boosting guest appearance, and, you know, sort of, this guy is A-OK in my book. You should read mm-hmm. about him in the future. Uh, the assassins are apparently going to clear Pressman's name because they're going to, you know, squeal that, oh yeah, San Janeiro told us to shoot this guy to so he, that he wouldn't be incriminated. Um, I don't know that hired goons would actually know the ins and outs of their, like, underworld, like, mob guys' deals. Like, if I was San Janeiro, mm. I would have lied to them and said, yeah, Pressman is totally in my pocket throwing games for me. Um, I need you to take him out so that even if they were captured they would just incriminate him further. So this is, this is, this is my supervillain origin. Yeah. That's that's pretty evil. If you hear about this happening to a football player, it was probably me in the future. Just be aware of that. Okay. (laughs) But uh, anything else about uh, our second issue, which is issue one. (laughs) Uh, On a related note, I accidentally thought this was the first issue. And so I, initially bought just the uh just the first four or just the first three i think so years later it's still it's still screwing people over i'm, I'm sure it was confusing for people mm-hmm. at the time Um, so then it's on to NFL Super Pro number two. And we start off with a flashback to Super Pro's days at Notre Dame. Um, and we see Phil getting into an argument with Stu Moore, who is a teammate that basically thinks Phil is hogging all the glory and not being a team player. So after this one game, we see Stu just sitting in basically going over every play in his mind obsessively. Uh, And then we cut to the present 
and we see that Stu is actually dressed up as a ninja, calling himself Quick Kick, and is the head of a gang of crooks. Uh, and he's interrogating some guy, some guy who stumbled across this gang and who happens to be a Miami Dolphins player. So Quick Kick slash Stu orders the football player shot. Uh, first of all, his name is Quick Kick, but they miss the opportunity to make him a place kicker. <laughs> I went into this issue expecting it was going to be some somebody who maybe kicked explosive footballs or something along those lines. Yeah. And I, was disappointed. I actually, even like by the, by the end of the issue, I forgot that he was not a, a kicker. <laughs> I went back and was like, oh, he's just, another, you know, he's not a, not a place kicker. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, can't always get what you want. No. So then Super Pro is investigating Miami because of this shooting. So we cut to the next scene. Super Pro's in Miami. Uh, he's checking out the waterfront. There's apparently contraband coming in through the waterfront. Super Pro says, as you can tell by the advertisement on my chest, um, I have more than a passing interest in what's happened to Michael Frazier, this, this football player. Uh, the NFL is super protective of its logos and copyrights. You know, the whole thing about the express written consent of the NFL to replay games and whatever. Um, so NF Marvel can use the NFL logo in this comic book because it's licensed. But, like, within, like, the world of the comic, right? Like, the NFL has got to be pissed at this vigilante using their trademarks without, like, any official oversight from the NFL. Especially because you keep screwing it up, right? Like, I would imagine that the NFL is, like, discussing, like, could we maybe get Hawkeye to be like the NF, the official NFL superhero? But yeah, yeah. I, I I would imagine this is like a legal nightmare for the NFL legal department. In, in the next issue, he he faces his worst enemies, cease and desist. <laughs> pair of, I would pair of villains another, sent by the NFL. We should be writing super pro fan fiction. This, this is, <laughs> I hope I hope you're writing this down or we're recording done it. and done. <laughs> Uh, so then he finds some thugs and beats them up to get info. And he finds out a gang called Los Tiburones, or the Sharks, uh, shot the Dolphins player. And apparently it was because this Dolphin, Dolphins player's community outreach program was basically intruding on their turf and, and taking away their recruits and everything. Um, so while Phil goes back and confers with his cameraman, Ken... Quick Kick is already attacking the Sharks because they apparently stole some illegal weapons shipment that belonged to Quick Kick's employer. Um, and then Phil and Ken go to the Miami Dolphin Players Outreach Center because Phil wants to draw attention to it on his news show. And they lay it on pretty thick about like what a great guy and what a great role model this is and how much an NFL player can do for his community. And I suppose that's like the NFL's influence wanting to balance out the fact that like the comic is insisting that the NFL is mixed up in all those sort of weird novelty villains and organized, sorted, organized crime stuff, sort of balancing that out with like, mm -hmm. Hey, like NFL players also can do good things. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't all turn into ninjas <laughs> and roid Some, monsters. Yeah. Um, so while, while Phil is at the community outreach center, he finds out from some kids who are ex gang members that apparently there's a shipment of illegal weapons that was stolen that's probably being held at a 
small local airport. It's a lot of stuff like Los Tiburones are chumps, man. Yeah, he probably got most of his knowledge about the streets from watching like different strokes growing <laughs> up. I, I would think. I know I did. Yeah, so then he Super Pro goes to get the guns um, at the airport, and he finds Quick Kick is also there trying to get them. So Super Pro confronts him. And Quick Kick immediately knows he's Phil Grayfield because he never forgets a voice, a face, or body language. Um, so they start to fight. Super Pro finds out that apparently he's a ninja master now. Uh, also, Super Pro is calling him Carl Moore because of a consistency error, so he's not Stu Moore. I don't know. Uh, maybe. So Quick Kick never forgets like a face or whatever, but. Phil Grayfield can clearly forget the guy's name. Like, hey, you remember we used to play together? Carl, was it? Yeah, mm -hmm. Carl. Uh, whatever. Kick doesn't correct him, so. Yeah. He's like, fine, whatever. Just the latest indignity that I have to suffer. But whatever his name is, like, Quick Kick does a lot of ranting from Phil, like, putting him down and says that, you know, Phil says that he's not to blame for everything that's gone wrong in your life. But we really haven't seen any of that. Like, we haven't seen, like, his fall from grace and he has to become a ninja or whatever. Uh, for all we know, like, Quick Kick is, a, is very satisfied in his life as a hitman. Like, being a ninja is a very viable career in the Marvel Universe circa 1991. Yeah, I, I think he might be, I think Super Pro might be projecting a little bit. <laughs> uh, also, on a, getting back to licensed comics, which you were talking about earlier, I don't know if this was one of the shows that you watched, but Quick Kick was one of the, was the name of one of the most popular G.I. Joe characters huh. back in the 80s. Yeah, I actually um, didn't. Yeah, I was not a G.I. Joe guy, but, but that's yeah, weird because Marvel had like the, the G.I. Joe license, so you think somebody would have said something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the, the villain in the next issue looks a lot like Snake Eyes, another super popular G.I. Joe character. So, mm. yeah. Nobody's nobody's paying attention. to <laughs> Take away from this. Um, Super Pro accidentally knocks the wheel jams. Uh, that's the phrase that's used. I don't know anything about planes, so I don't know if that's a term or not. Off of the plane that Quick Kick is going to leave on. And so basically the plane starts to roll away and Quick Kick chases after it and the guns. Super Pro follows. Quick Kick gets on the plane, but the wing is damaged. Super Pro tries to save him, but he... Uh, but Quick Kick crashes into the bay, seemingly dying. And then afterwards, one of the cop can one of the cops that Super Pro meets congratulates him for sinking the plane and the weapons and basically killing Quick Kick. <laughs> and uh, so the cop says, "Good job, buddy." And Super Pro says, "You think so? I fought someone and lost today." The cop says, "How do you figure that?" And then Super Pro says, because I battled a man who reminded me too much of myself, who thought that winning was all that mattered, and I wasn't able to show him that what really counts is what you're fighting for. Yeah, this theme sort of comes out of nowhere, but maybe maybe yeah. you're right, and he is like just totally projecting. <laughs> Possibly. That, yeah, that's that does just uh, not connect with anything that we've actually he seen feels on the page. Yeah, he, he feels the need to sum up in some way, and so he's sort of grasping at, like, well, we were both players, and then the game of life, maybe. So then, good news is the 
Dolphins player who was shot wakes up in the intensive care unit. Bad news is that Sanjinare or Sanjinare was the um, guy who hired Quick Kick, and he now demands that his underling hire a different assassin named Instant Replay to succeed where Quick Kick failed. So uh, next up, we have NFL Super Pro number three from December. There's a, uh, a cover tagline introducing the villain Instant Replay. Now you see him, now you die. Instant Replay, the man who walks through time. I was super excited to read this issue. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no, I mean, like, like, for, like, seriously, like, okay, like we've had some like, you know, sort of football related stuff, but like now we're going to go full blown into like the ridiculous football superhero thing. The villain's name is Instant Replay, if you see him on the cover, is a pretty typical 90s-looking uh, blades and armor bad guy. Um, you mentioned looks sort of like Snake Eyes, and I can I can definitely see that. Um, so the issue opens with Instant Replay apparently fighting and killing Super Pro. They have, you know, they have a sort of an excursion. He demonstrates his powers that he's sort of like... He's supposed to be walking through time, but functionally he just sort of seems to be teleporting around. Super Pro is confused. Instant replay gets the drop on him and kills him. This turns out to be a robot. And boss Sanjanir is there saying, it was worth the money I paid Stain Industries to develop the Super Pro construct. Now, like, so this sort of fake out is like a pretty common, like, superhero trope to, like, get you invested in the story really quickly. Like, here's the villain, he fights the hero, kills the hero, and then you find out, like, oh, it was a dummy or, or it was somebody else dressed as him. But, like, it really gets pu- pushed to the breaking point here because, like, this is supposed to be just, like, a robot. But it has human-like reactions. Like, it's going, like, you you cut me? And then later, where did he go? He, almost like he disappeared by going past me. So, mm-hmm. like, did Sanjanair pay for a sentient android? Like, you can get those in the Marvel Universe. Right. Was it was it important to him to have, like, realistic, like, super pro is terrified dialogue coming out of him? I, I think he, he, he wants to experience that emotional you know pain he wants to see super pro feel what it's like to be human and then lose it all i guess because like i'm not even sure totally what the in the logic of the series the the point of this exercise is because like he already knows that instant replay is his you know number one assassin or whatever and does he just want to make sure that like i want to make sure that this guy can like specifically take a guy dressed in an nfl uniform like it's very important to me that i see this (laughs) with my own eyes Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Sanjanir is ranting about how much Super Pro has cost him in his operations uh, for months. Now you have bedeviled my operations from Los Angeles to Miami. I will have no more of it. No more. I want Super Pro dead. I want him dead with pain. Which, that's weird. <laughs> it's like, I'm, not, I'm not sure. His name is Sanjanir, so that's like an Italian name, I gather. Like I don't know if he's supposed to be European and like a little not entirely what a native English speaker might say. I want him dead with pain is a very odd, uh, odd thing to me at least. Yeah. But anyway, so like instant replay, like we got this killer who can cut through time. We are told this is clearly a thing where like they came up with the name first, right? Like we got a football themed superhero. What are some mm-hmm. things that are football relatable? Instant replay is a thing. He could be like, yeah, he could be like an assassin. He goes back in time. You know, he can replay stuff that makes sense. Right. Like, 
this guy seems ludicrously overpowered for for Super Pro. Like, so far, Super Pro has fought, like, some generic assassins and some goons and then quick kick the ninja. And then, like, the next guy, next issue, he'll fight a guy in a mech suit, which is, you know, a step up, but still, you know, pretty normal. But, like, this is a time-traveling assassin. Like, this guy seems like he could be one of the most powerful villains in the Marvel Universe. Like, what? what is he even doing, like, working for this, like, you know, sort of third-tier Euro-trash ponytail guy in his two-bit gambling operation? Like, if I was the kingpin and I find, I hear, like, hey, we got a time-traveling assassin. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm done with Bullseye. Like, <laughs> I have a time-traveling assassin. Like, you know, the thing about, like, could you go back, you know, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler in his crib. This guy can do that, you know, apparently. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just feel like this, all everything that happens in this issue is totally beneath him. <laughs> so San Gennaro is starting to realize that Super Pro is, quote, interested in matters pertaining to the National Football League. <laughs> Uh, which for me raised some questions. So first of all, I was trying to think of whether there's like any other superhero that has so narrow a jurisdiction and focus. Yeah, like he goes to a bank robbery and is like, hey, any of you guys current or former professional football players? Mm-hmm. No? All right. I'm gone. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is this like, would he get involved in say like a Canadian football league crime or like an arena football crime or would that I have, be like, like, yeah. And I have to think that there's like a lot of like, maybe the NBA has a lot of supervillain crime also. That's like not, <laughs> that's going unaddressed because there's no like yeah. NBA hoopster or something on the case. <laughs> so again, in my, in yeah. my fan, in my fan fiction, I would very like much like to see him like, he has to fight NBA hoopster and like MLB slugger and NHL name to be determined. But so we cut to Phil and Ken. It turns out that a ski mask wearing gang is mugging people, specifically people wearing Philadelphia Eagles apparel. Uh, Phil suggests like, Hey, we should dress up in like Eagles stuff and see if we can get these guys to attack us. And we you know we'd expose them because we are investigative journalists. Um, but Ken seems distracted during this whole thing. He sort of maybe recognizes one of the guys in the video, sort of, you know, his mind is elsewhere. Clearly, uh, we cut to the gang. They're planning to target a fancy, uh, Eagles fan club dinner. Uh, the leader guy is named Ronnie and he's worried that this is getting out of hand. Apparently this sort of started as, you know, sort of a lower key, like, Hey, we're going to hassle people wearing Eagles apparel. Um, he doesn't want anybody to get hurt. But there is a guy who is taking it too far and acting somewhat crazy, and his name is Cray, which I did not think was in the popular parlance in 1991, but it could. Fabian ECAs are perhaps ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and on a on a side note, they this gang attacking Eagles fans calls themselves the Eagles Gang. <laughs> yeah, that should be like the anti Eagles. <laughs> anti-eagles gang or like the eagles revenge yeah. squad mm-hmm. yeah they they really needed to take a second pass on that <laughs> but uh so phil shows up in a van that's all tricked out with eagles decals and the guys attack it because that's what they do and super pro jumps out of the van and starts a fight and i, I actually like this moment where one of the bad guys 
said something like it's super pro and super pro is legitimately <laughs> delighted that somebody knows his superhero name yeah it's, it's a running thing in here that like apparently even within the logic of the comic super pro is kind of a dumb name so everybody's like football man football super football player <laughs> but yeah this guy that now now he's made it by issue issue three um so the bad guys run away and super pro pursues but ken accidentally i'm making air quotes that you can't see because this is a recording uh, he's accidentally puts the van between super pro and the bad guys and the bad guys get away so you can sort of see where this is going right because ken is like oh man i didn't see you there whoa mm-hmm. the next page ken visits his sister and asks if her son ronnie is home and we find out that ken recognized his nephew from the video that they were taking um this is the second time if you're including the origin issue that Ken has made a positive ID on a masked individual, which is like a really good track record in the Marvel universe where like Matt Murdock mm-hmm. has been operating secretly as daredevil for years. But like this guy could like look at that and be like, no, look the jaw, like the nose, like this guy is daredevil. So <laughs> this is like his mutant power is that he is, he is the one guy who is like, has like a realistic facial recognition ability in like mm-hmm. a superhero universe. And he would just like go to the daily Planet and be like, well, that's Superman. Like, anyway so uh in our story it turns out that ronnie was cut by the eagles at some point and this is sort of him taking his revenge on the eagles organization by striking at their fans i guess um and ken suggests that he stop the gang before uh ken goes to the cops uh around this time super pro decides like hey i'm going to compare my notes with the cops about the gang because he's had some sort of discussions earlier about like oh maybe i should get the cops on my side or should i be a vigilante or whatever uh, one of the cops says to him, you're that football hero guy, right? And then, so Super Pro says, sighs, and then says, close enough, Super Pro. So we get that momentary uh, boost of confidence <laughs> is gone, and he's a little bit deflated again. I enjoyed. At least criminals know, you know, it's, That's even true. if they're pretty lower tier criminals, but. Um, so, yeah, so. While this is going on, instant replay, our super unbeatable badass guy that we've been introduced to on the cover takes this chance to ambush him, and he is amazing. He is disappearing. He's reappearing. He's got the drop on them. He's blowing Super Pro's mind. The cops are baffled, right? So I'm, you know, I'm I'm reading this issue for the first time. I'm like, I'm geared up for what I assume is going to be a pretty innovative fight with like a time, you know, Mm -hmm. football guy versus time traveling assassin, but. The next time that he reappears, the cops are like behind you and super pro sort of sticks his, you know, his elbow out and takes him up before he's ready. Instant replay gets knocked back into a store window. That's full of sports memorabilia. And he like, you know, there's like a flash of light and some sparks and some screams and he's, he's gone. So (laughs) he's like Boba Fett, right? Where like Boba Fett is built up as this like cool looking unstoppable badass. And then like Han Solo takes him up by accident. This is apparently what's happened to Instant Replay, because immediately after this, Ken and Phil instantly become Reed Richards-level experts on the mechanics of, like, teleportation and time travel and quantum physics. Ken says, oh, Ken says, oh it looks like the electrical conduit was disrupted by the metal in his golf clubs. And Phil says, with something as intricate as a matter transporter, who knows what would have happened to him? And then they just all just go on with their lives. <laughs> like They're like... Super Pro says something like, you know, that oh, that whatever he was, you know, whatever he was doing here, that's unimportant. Like, this was 
this is the weirdest thing that has ever happened to a guy who has had some pretty weird stuff happen to him. And he's like, that was a weird five minutes. <laughs> but back to this, back to this low level gang that's not really hurting anybody yet. <laughs> did he even, did Instant Replay even really use his time travel? It seemed that's, like he was just teleporting. Yeah, that's what's not really clear is that like, we're, I mean, or San Gennaro keeps telling us that he's a time traveler and like the captions and stuff say he's the man who cuts through time or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, functionally, he's just sort of teleporting. But I guess with the time travel aspect, the Instant Replay name doesn't make any sense. Okay, but yeah. maybe maybe I'm maybe this is why you shouldn't name your supervillain instant replay. Now that our exciting villain has just been dispatched in three three pages by accident, um, the gang is off to their usual antics. They attack a woman and two kids, and the woman is like, "Oh, they're developmentally slow." Those are the, those are her words, and the gang says, "We ain't brain surgeons either," which is like the worst burn. Like the worst self-own. Yeah. yeah, so this is apparently the straw that breaks the camel's back for Ken's nephew. And he stops the gang, and he turns himself into the police and comes forward about their activities. Um, So, you know, we have, like, the sort of emotional thing between Ken and his sister, which we don't really care about because we don't care about any of these characters, really. But So, yeah, San Janeiro is pretty pissed that his number one assassin was taken out by accident. And he vows to now fight Super Pro personally in a big yellow armor that looks a lot like Unicron from Transformers the movie. Yeah, so that's that's our our uh cliffhanger for the next issue. I'm just I'm 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 like gutted. <laughs> I was excited to like instant replay. That is like such a ridiculous name. I'm looking to for- mm-hmm. forward to seeing like how they're gonna use that. And then it's almost like like Nicieza was really invested in this eagles gang thing and mm-hmm. they were like you have to put a time traveling assassin in there and he's like oh all right three pages yeah. you're done and now now i want to get back to the eagles gang which is the <laughs> at the forefront of my mind but, yeah well it's yeah. about he's, he doesn't want to compromise his artistic vision for the suits <laughs> yeah it, it it may do your your heart good to know that instant replay is Apparently, Super Pro's one recurring villain, and he returns. I believe it's in issue nine. So, so I, this that one I actually looked up, and oh, okay. I I found out that he that he comes back, mm-hmm. and he is pretty much equally useless, and also sort of gets taken out again by accident, and this time apparently is definitively dead. Okay. So, I don't know. All right then. <laughs> I was because I was I was I was so keyed up by thinking like. They put so much work into that. Like, clearly he might show up again, and then he does show up again. Mm-hmm. Equally useless. I am, yeah. dis- I am disgusted. <laughs> so, uh, we turn to our final issue of this, essentially this little arc. Um, issue four, The Sanctioning. And we open with a panel with an image of Jane Dixon covering a tax protest. And she appears to be in a sniper's crosshairs, which is actually the second time a super pro issue has opened with that, yeah. that visual trope. Um, but it turns out it's, it's Marco Sanzanare in his yellow bulky armor uh, with his weapon systems 
focusing on airs and, and not a sniper. So the the armor is actually like Jose Dalbo here has created a pretty intricate armor mech suit or whatever. And it's kind of a shame that like the colorist here just sort of painted it like a flat yellow. Like mm. you could you could see like you know you could put some like highlights on there and some like some gray metal bits and some gold bits, but it's just I guess nobody cared. <laughs> Even like he's yeah. wearing this like this like visor and like sometimes the visor is yellow and sometimes the visor is clear. It it does function as effective urban camouflage though. <laughs> So Sandinari's focusing on Jane. He he uh, sprays tear gas, rains tear gas down from above uh, on the cops and captures Jane. Uh, elsewhere, we see Phil. Phil is involved with filming an ad uh, with football great Phil Sims and a guy who uh, Wikipedia informed me is an actual football player, Carl Banks promoting the united way and so they're doing a commercial together which i thought it's good to obviously promote an organization like the united way but it seems a little bit weird or icky that an investigative journalist is basically partnering (laughs) with this major corporation to promote it essentially yeah i can see that take it from me a former sports journalist that's (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. not great so then phil bumps into a football player whose name he cleared way back in, uh, I believe it was the first issue of the actual series. That's the guy with the weird haircut. Oh, yeah. He doesn't really seem to have it here, but maybe they did some thought. I was going to say, you would think I would remember that that (laughs) haircut. So, meanwhile, Ken is working on Super Pro's helmet, basically giving it some technological upgrades so that he can remotely monitor what Super Pro sees, uh, but also he can, Ken will be able to see what's behind Super Pro. And then he makes a reference to, I think, what was fairly new NFL technology at the time, which was the helmet cam. So it's a little, seems like a little plug. Phil bursts into Ken's room uh, and says, We have problems. I tried calling Jane at home. The voice on the machine wasn't hers. I think she's in big trouble. <laughs> it seems weird to me because did Sandinari have someone record a an answering machine message for Jane in case somebody <laughs> tried to call? I mean, I don't know if he recorded a taunting message to Super Pro himself and put it on there, but it's like he's in there like complaining that He's suspicious because somebody that doesn't sound like her is on the, the machine. Yeah, like maybe maybe a henchman was like, this is Jane. I'm out of town for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hmm, I better <laughs> listen to that again. Uh, yeah, he's uh, so he's fired up. And meanwhile, we see Sanjanare is holding Jane captive, and he announces his plans to fight Super Pro on a football field, saying, he has beaten me in my game, now I shall beat him in his. He goes on to say, I have the psychological advantage now. I have the home field advantage, which I Mm -hmm. assume the psychological advantage is beating Phil at his own football pun game. Yes, he has has become the master now. (laughs) 
Yeah, so then uh, Sanjinare finds out essentially that Jane doesn't know he her boyfriend is super pro, um, and he kind of delicious. He's savoring the opportunity, and he re- reveals super pro's identity to Jane. But it's not like she's really been like a character, even like he's talked to her a couple mm-hmm. of times on the phone. And, like, she's never expressed, like, a huge interest in Super Pro. Like, I wonder who Super Pro is. Maybe, like, <laughs> we would. But it's mm-hmm. not It's not like this is, like, Lois Lane, like, like yeah. living with Clark Kent or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, I wondered who Super Pro was a couple of times. I guess it's my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, there's no conflict there. Right. She's not, like, you know, uh, kind of adverse to him, like Aunt May and, and Spider-Man, but. Yeah, so that's. I would. I would think she was, I would. I would think she would think it's pretty cool. <laughs> like mm-hmm. neat. Thanks, yeah. engineer. That's. I would. This is neat to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So then, Sanjinari gives his gives kind of a supervillain speech to Jane, uh, telling him telling her why he's he wants to destroy him, and he says, "Your boyfriend has disrupted my field of operations nationwide," and then. He, we get kind of a shot of the, the crowded people in the city before below. And he says, they're all mine. All the prattling ants below. I control their hopes, their fears, their lives. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, let's not get carried away here. Like, <laughs> you're a guy who deals some arms and is involved in sports betting. You're not like <laughs> Dr. Doom level. Yeah. Or, you know, Thanos. Uh, so just dial it back a little bit. Yeah, he is a mid-tier criminal. I think I affect their lives, their hopes, their dreams, maybe. But mm-hmm. if they choose to place a bet or buy guns from me, yeah. So he's he's pretty uh, he's pretty confident there. Uh, so Super Pro arrives at the at, at Sanzinari's penthouse to fight him. Uh, Sanjinari takes the opportunity to tell him that he wants to be called Sanction now. Yeah, I looked this up, and Sanjinari, or however that is pronounced in Italian, is actually Italian for Sanction, which I guess oh. it's like does the the does the NFL hand down sanctions on that's a word I've heard, right? Uh, or like the NCAA. Think- does it would probably have... yeah. I, I feel like it would have been better if it was like something related to penalty. You know? Oh, like like yeah, whatever whatever <laughs> Italian for penalty is. <laughs> yeah, penalty. <Penalinario. laughs> yeah. So he's he's just he's like you know overshooting the the better <laughs> name, but um. So yeah, he's he's going by sanction now, um, and. He and Super Pro start to fight. Super Pro, Super Pro falls down a dark hole and finds himself on a fake football field uh, with Jane tied to a goalpost. And so I, I, I kind of like these. It's, if you're familiar with the X-Men villain arcade who sets up these elaborate kind of death trap simulation games for his prey, uh, I kind of like that trope. Oh yeah, this is this is this is this of all the stuff that we've seen in this series. This is like super fun. He's like there's like there's like mm-hmm. football bombs and there's like spikes and lasers and mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so he's uh they're they're having this battle on this football field. Um and meanwhile Ken is monitoring the uh the fight back uh remotely and he tells Super Pro to go after a particular part of the suit which wipes out sanctions um weapon system. Basically they the, the football field continues to attack him, uh Super Pro. He gets out of the way, he rescues Jane, they run to the roof. He and Sanction fights yeah. more. Both of them fall off the building. Super Pro manages to grab, grab onto a flagpole and Sanction just ends up getting knocked unconscious. Uh, and then we get Jane telling Super Pro she knows his real identity. And essentially she is just decides, I think, in line with what you were saying about her being like, oh, that's pretty cool. She's like, oh, yeah, I want to join up with you guys. Yeah. Uh, with him and Ken to basically fight crime. Yeah, there's no angst here. It's like, um, can I? Do you want some help? He's like, yeah, sure. It's very. It's, it's a, it seems like a healthy relationship. Yeah, so she's she's cool with it. thoughts on super pro yeah uh what did what did you what did you think um out of all the stuff that we read so far i think maybe this was just the the most fun i want to say yeah it was it it was competent moved quickly yeah competent is the the main word that springs to mind like nothing like very little about this is terrible Mm-hmm. I'm mad about instant replay, <laughs> but other, <laughs> other than that, it's you know it it moves along. Yeah, it's it it uh it's not trying to be something that it's not. You know, some I think some decent villain designs occasionally, like uh, instant replay was decent and the, the art art was pretty good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like the so the the first the first four issues I think were were pretty low key. Um, you know, it's like goons and there's goons and a ninja and there's an assassin who looks cool, but doesn't do a whole lot. Did you ever watch the, uh, the 1970s, uh, Spider-Man live action show with Nicholas Hammond? Yeah. Yeah. Like these, the, like those, most of those issues could be like an episode of that show, you know, where mm-hmm. Spider-Man gets involved in some sort of like low, you know, low stakes, low special effects kind of crime. Right. Mm-hmm. But like number four blows me away. Like. I was, I was, I seriously enjoyed, and if I'm going on record, I, I really enjoy, I, Justin Zyduck, really enjoyed NFL Super Pro number four. <laughs> Put that on a, on like a, you know, the blurb for the mm-hmm. trade that you're going to, going to produce of this. Yeah, because like it really leans into the absurdity of the thing. Because like, I have a fondness for like the, like arcade or the Batman 1960s TV show, Death Trap kind of villains. So, like, by issue four, you have a Euro trash villain ranting about how people are ants before him. He's wearing a unicron suit. He's tying Super, Gro- Super Pro's girlfriend to the goalpost in a booby trap football field. Like, this is what mm-hmm. I wanted out of, out of NFL Super Pro. Like, Fa- Fabian Nisieza, like, this is, this is, I thank you for this issue. I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that uh, I was definitely. I was going into it thinking it was going to be just completely tossed off and with no attention given to it at all. And I think it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Put it there. So one one thing that I thought was funny, what did you think of uh, Ken, sort of secondary character? Because I thought at first glance, he looks sort of like a 1990s trope because like, he's like the hacker who can do anything, right? All those like CW superhero shows now, like Arrow and Supergirl and Flash and stuff, like they all they have this exact setup where <laughs> you have like the superhero who's like not always coming up with their own ideas, and they have the hacker who can hack into anything, telling them like what to do through the earpiece. Yeah, I think it's kind of, I I, I think there was microchip with Punisher at that time. Yeah, who maybe had a similar thing, but uh, I don't know. Just he's. He's well-rounded. He gives a little <laughs> bit of levity to things. But yeah, it is it is funny because like he's introduced as like he's a really like he's introduced to us as he is an awesome cameraman, mm-hmm. which is like down for. And then he's like he's also a hacker. Well, that's unusual, but you know it's the nineties. We're gonna allow with that. And then like he's amazing at facial recognition. <laughs> All right, mm-hmm. I, you know that's he's he's got talents. He's got you know many things that he can he can do. And then it's like well. He can also uh, diagnose the problems with a malfunctioning time travel teleportation device from a distance. Mm-hmm. Figure out that it was the golf clubs that are doing that are the problem. He's able to identify. Yeah. He's able to look at that sanctioned suit and go like, "I can tell through this monitor where you have to hit this thing to disable it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is why is this comic not called NFL Ken? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. NFL Ken, the guy who yeah. can do everything, and the guy who does. Who fights? Who punches people for him? <laughs> yeah, and I imagine they, you know, they probably can't get the rights to Super Pro anymore because of the license. But Ken's is probably waiting out there to be revived. Yeah, actually, uh, I looked it up, and uh, when Robert Kirkman, the uh, who some of you might know as the creator of The Walking Dead, was writing Marvel Team Up, in I think it was the two thousand somewhere in there. He wanted to have Super Pro show up, and hmm. th- apparently he was told no because it's a trademark thing and you know all the sorts of legal things that go into that. But he did manage to have sneak into an issue. Stiltman say, "Yeah, I beat up this guy called Super Pro last week. He was like a total weirdo." <laughs> so he is he is canon still. Yeah, and I just I am just kind of praying that Disney works out a deal with the <laughs> NFL. So that maybe by the time, you know, Avengers, the next generation rolls around, we get our after credit sequence. If we were to bring back NFL Super Pro, I think it would have him be the, the exact same character. But all the other characters acknowledge that his like really bad puns and his uh, problems are like due to multiple injuries and concussions. <laughs> <laughs> like if we just made the, if we just made that subtext text that like. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, oh, poor Phil, his his brain can literally not make any non-football-related connections anymore. Everything he has yeah. to say is in some sort of a couch in a football football imagery. Yeah, it could, it could ha- be sort of like the uh, the new version of The Tick on, on Amazon. Yeah. We've got this, this weirdo wandering around. There's a, there's, a, there's a market for this.
we've had a chance to dive into some of the ads in these issues because I think we read some of the earlier materials we've covered on um, like Comixology, so there weren't ads. And it's kind of neat to not only just look at this from a nostalgic viewpoint, but also to get a little bit of that context of what exactly did the pop cultural landscape and nerd culture landscape look like at the time that this was being released. I think for me, the, the one that I was most excited about was there was an ad for an X-Men adventure game that you played over the phone. Uh, and apparently how it worked is you call up and you have to battle Magneto's henchmen one by one. And it looks like uh, you've got the Juggernaut and Sauron and possibly Sentinel. So maybe it's not sticking to the canon, the canon of the comics really well. But yeah, so you, you fight them apparently by dialing the number for the X-Men whose powers are best suited to dealing with the situation. So like you dial one for Wolverine's adamantium claws to slice through something. Uh, two for Iceman to freeze things, three for Cyclops to blast something. Uh, and then four is a surprising choice. You have Banshee and his sonic whale. Yeah, so Banshee, not really one of your top tier X-Men. I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking that the, the clue was the juggernaut had a lot to drink last night. He's super hungover, his head is killing him. He's asking mm-hmm. everybody to turn their music down. <laughs> Who would be the best person to to really get to the juggernaut right now? Oh, like, okay. Really loud scream. Yes, yes. I would have I would have I my mom did not let me play this game. But mm-hmm. I think I I think I might have won. <laughs> Apparently you were you were planning and plotting just in case that <laughs> opportunity came up. Uh yeah, so and apparently if you won this game by beating the henchman and then answering trivia questions uh, or against Magneto. I don't know if Magneto was also answering X-Men trivia <laughs> questions and kind of a meta, you know, meta commentary, meta textual move, but you, the winners got signed X-Men comics and merchandise. Uh, but also the top scores were apparently listed in a future X-Men comic. Uh, so I would be curious if anybody listening to this podcast played this game, I would love to know what it was like uh, especially if you managed to get your name in the comics so we'll, we'll talk about how you can reach out to us later but mm. just know that I would be endlessly fascinated <laughs> yeah likewise um, so other ads uh, there were ads for um, a lot of sports uh, trading cards which were so I I read all these com- you know not these specific comics but I read comics from this era when they were new, and there were, you know anyway a lot of like a lot of sports trading cards at the time they were the, you know card boom was pretty big, um, I don't know how like ads were sold in comic books but it would be interesting if they were able to maybe push more you know sports trading cards in a NFL themed superheroes book. Yeah, it, I it was. Even more of a trading card dominated era than I thought, because like on the back of one of the issues, you had something called Laughs TV trading cards, which were characters from ABC's TGIF lineup. So you had like Family Matters and Full House and Perfect Stranger cards. Um, 
So I think I actually might have had some of those cards. Did you have the Joey Gladstone rookie card? <laughs> uh, I think I might have traded two of my Bronson Pinchos. For that. <laughs> <sighs> I regret it to this day. There also, uh, I saw um, ads for the first wave of Toy Biz X-Men toys. Um, so we have like people in like nerd pursuits and geek interests. We talk a lot about nostalgia and how sometimes we think that things were better when we were kids. Um, I am totally guilty of being like comics were better when they were printed with flat colors on newsprint because the newsprint had a musty smell and I like that. Mm-hmm. Don't read too much into this, but um, <laughs> but yeah, action figures. So we have a lot of nostalgia, but like action figures today are vastly superior to the sculpts that we had when we were kids because i'm looking at these pictures and i'm remembering what they were like and they were you know they were clunky and they're not as articulated as you want and the colors are sometimes wrong wolverine comes Mm -hmm. with a removable mask and the face underneath the mask looks sort of like michael richards they would fall apart pretty easily so Mm -hmm. i remember i got the Iceman action figure and you could uh you could put him in your freezer and he would get like these blue icicle kind of marks um of course, I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to realize that that made him super brittle. So he broke within like one day of getting him. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ar- Ar- Archangel's wings—they were just sort of, you know, sort of in there, and they had like a little flapping motion. But those fell right mm-hmm. out. He just became purple bodysuit man. Yeah, yeah. You kids don't know how good you have. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are perhaps better today than they were back then. Um, in video game ads from the time, this is something I noticed even at the, you know even when I was a kid. The screenshots that they would have in them are always like super small, to where you can like barely make out what's going on. And I assume this is because the like eight bit and sixteen bit graphics of the time didn't reproduce well with like the sort of you know inferior comic book coloring of the time. Um, but as a result, like when you would look at these these ads, you would have like these three little screenshots, and you could like barely tell what's going on from these fuzzy thumbnails yeah and, and they make up for those uh, those lack of images with a lot more text than i think modern ads would have mm-hmm. so i there was like a spider-man genesis game ad and a streets of rage ad and they're like essentially four short ish paragraphs of just text kind of describing the game you know it's cool to be able to to see everything and see trailers of every of every game, but it's it's almost uh, you know getting back into nostalgia again. But it's kind of cool that the way that they have to kind of play on your imagination just using these scant images and like the text to to put you in the in the game essentially. Yeah, and like from an economic standpoint, uh, the advent of superior printing and sixty four bit graphics meant that. I imagine dozens of video game ad copywriters were put out of, out of business once mm-hmm. you could actually just show the the screenshots. But uh, there's an ad for Simpsons related NES and Game Boy games, uh, and I I like at one point the ads just says just says keep Bartmania alive by these games. <laughs> okay, they're you know they're being pretty straightforward about that, so I. I appreciated that. A fun aside about the uh, some of those NES Simpsons games. Uh, the guy who did the music for those games was 
my dad's former boss's brother. Yeah. <laughs> and also he was the producer for the Violent Femmes. Whoa. So okay. three steps from Gordon Gano, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, speaking of, of cool, we also get, <laughs> we took a look at the Marvel bullpen bulletins, which is a feature that they were running for pretty much since the beginning of the Stan Lee era, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the early nineties, they would run this, uh, a coolometer where they'd have like a, a thermometer graphic that would create a spectrum of cool to uncool. So they'd have like a, you know, a descending thing of things that were cool. Um, so I read a bunch of these when they were new because I had, you know, a subscription to some comics at the time and like, I have no more idea now than I did as a kid what the hell criteria they were using to rank these things. Because like, so in September's mm-hmm. issue, Kiefer Sutherland is rated as the third most uncool thing, like mm-hmm. below flea markets but above bowling, or maybe it's the other <laughs> way around. But like, what did Kiefer Sutherland do in September of 1991 to like to, to deserve this? Or no, in November, mm-hmm. the Spider-Man balloon and the Macy's, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is like sort of like right in the middle. Which is like that's weird. Like, like are they trying? Is it sort of a false modesty thing of like, oh hey, we have this, you know, this balloon that you know millions of people see every year in this parade, but like, it's 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 not it's not that cool. Mm-hmm. It was I think I think well, Boris I think Boris Yeltsin is cooler by by the coolometer standards that month. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's probably because they were trying to get people hyped for the NFL Super Pro float. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was. A little trip back in time. Um, so I thought we'd end as usual with a few recommendations. Um, you know, I guess we, we both kind of liked NFL Super Pro. So if you find issue four lying around, why not read that? But um, Yeah, you, you, I would even say if you want to skip the other ones, you'd get a nice little, as comics used to do, a nice little summary of like what happened in the previous issues. So. Mm-hmm. Buy 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 NFL Super Pro Four. That's my recommendation. <laughs> yes, and we are not being we are not being compensated by Fabian Nietzsche or Marvel for that. <laughs> or statement. the I am being compensated by the NFL, but okay. It's I, I I figured it. I saw the <laughs> uh, the car that you're driving these days. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking for a Marvel character who debuted around that time. Uh, who didn't begin as a shameless marketing ploy, you might want to check out Spider-Man 2099, Volume 1, uh, written by Peter David and Rick Leonardi. And so if you're not familiar with uh, the the series, um, the 2099 universe was this alternate future universe where uh, basically it was a corporate-dominated dystopian future. And so Spider-Man 2099 starts off as this guy named Miguel O'Hara, who's a brilliant but arrogant geneticist uh, working for this shady company called Alchemax. And so after one of the projects he's working on accidentally kills a test subject, he decides he's going to quit uh, for moral reasons. And then the evil CEO of of Alchemax doesn't want to lose him as an asset, so he doses O'Hara with this uh, drug that instantly makes him an addict, 
and can only be purchased legally through the company. Um, so then O'Hara, I'm not going to recap the, the whole thing, but this is just kind of the, the origin story, story. He goes to try to reconfigure his his genetic code in order to break the addiction, and one of his rivals sabotages the experiment, and O'Hara has his DNA spliced with a spider. Uh, so that's pretty much the, the first issue or so. But what I think is uh, is kind of fun and noteworthy about it is that basically the first arc, which is about six or seven issues, is just Spider-Man 2099 fleeing from the authorities and also trying to get back at this Alchemax, uh, Alchemax com- company and the CEO. And so he's not yet a, a full-fledged hero uh, he's basically on the run in this futuristic dystopian New York. It's called Nueva York now. Um, and he's having to survive both kind of confrontations with the authorities and these different violent factions all over the city and mercenaries that are hired by the company, um, including you've got like the future version of the Spider-Man villain, the Vulture. Uh, so basically you get thrown headfirst into this world 2099 and get to see a bunch of its dark corners early and often um and it's just an interesting way to kind of start a superhero story you have this really extended arc of him just basically being on the run and then if you know peter david um you know he's got usually has some pretty witty entertaining dialogue he's got some good character dynamics between spider-man and his brother and his brother's or and spider-man's girlfriend um and so i know that this probably doesn't sound too unique in terms of a dystopian future but uh, i would say that i I think that batman beyond was probably heavily influenced by this series um a lot of the elements are pretty much very similar uh right down to the main bad guy being the head of an evil corporation uh, and also, if you're not familiar with the Spider-Man 2099 costume, it's I think it's maybe the third best costume after the original in the black costume. It's and they they give a kind of an interesting origin story for it in the first issue, so it kind of makes sense in terms of the design. Uh, yeah, so check out Spider-Man 2099. Uh, that would be issues one to ten. They're available on Comixology Unlimited. You could probably pick them up cheaply in any stores that sell back issues. And I haven't checked out any of his more recent appearances, but um, he's still going strong as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of the black costume, if you are jonesing to read about a costume superhero thwarting a pro football-related crime, um, but you want to see maybe like characters that you are already invested in, um, you can pick up uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue uh, 253 from June 1984. Um, if that seems like a pretty random back issue, this is actually the issue of Amazing Spider-Man immediately following the first appearance of the black costume. So um, you should be able to find it in any collection of like the early and al- early uh, alien costume stories. That's where I got mine. Um, the mine was printed in 1988, but I'm sure somebody else has subsequently collected those stories. Um, but uh, So in this story, Peter Parker gets drawn into a story about uh, New York Mammoth's quarterback, Ray Nesters. Um, they didn't have the NFL license at this time, so they had to make up all fake 
team names. Um, so uh, this Nestor's guy, unlike the falsely accused player in Super Pro, actually is throwing games for the benefit of a crime lord's gambling empire. This is the first appearance of Spider-Man villain The Rose. He wears kind of like a, an off-white suit and like a purple leather mask and a hat and glasses, and it's a very striking design. Um, this issue yeah. was actually coincidentally penciled by uh, Rick Leonardi, who penciled um, Spider-Man mm-hmm. 2099. But um, thematically, this football player's sort of fall from glory is compared to Peter Parker's recent decision in the series at the time to quit grad school. And he tells Aunt May about it, and she actually gets pretty like upset about him, which you didn't often get to see from her character back in the day when she was just sort of a you know doddering old biddy uh, stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. It does, however, get Spider-Man involved via Peter Parker being given a sports assignment, which I want to stress again, the newspaper industry is different now, but like in the 80s when, when print was still pretty much going strong, if your regular sports photographer took sick, you would have like somebody else who had ever shot a, a football game. You would not get the guy who you get solely to get pictures of Spider-Man that make him look bad. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it does get him into the story. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, a fine, enjoyable story uh, written by longtime spider writer uh, Tom DeFalco. Um, so, again, uh, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 253, um, probably available on, you know, all your various, uh, wherever you read uh, comics online or in any kind of collection about black costume stories. And you can, you, know, you should also just pick up a book about journalism and how newspapers work so that... <laughs> You can fill in that that gap as well. Yeah, so like if you're if you're making like newspaper headlines in comics or in TV or in movies, you don't have like the banner headline for like a totally useless like flower show today or world's largest emerald. Like that's 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 my that's my my annoying pet peeve is that I'm always looking at newspapers going like you would never lay out a paper like that. But yeah, yeah, read a book, <laughs> read a newspaper. <laughs> they would they would love your business. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, speaking of things that are killing print media, uh, <laughs> if you like what you heard here, you can like us or message us on Facebook. Uh, you can follow Indefensible Inc. on Twitter and or Instagram as well. And thanks for listening and have a good night. Yep. See you around.